right, Romans chapter 2 tonight. Romans chapter 2. Real excited about this chapter. Loving the study through Romans right now. And so last week, uh, we went through Romans chapter 1. And one of the things we're trying to do as we go through this, we are not just trying to take some verses that have some that'll preach and then just go wherever we want. We want to make sure we are focusing on what Paul was directly dealing with. That way we can make sure we're always properly using these scriptures. And so this chapter here, um, there's one uh, false doctrine in particular that often gets brought up from this chapter. And when you are looking at this as a whole, there is absolutely no way you could uh, get that false doctrine that people get from this passage. So I'm going to get to hit a couple heresies tonight that uh, I enjoy hitting. And you will see, I want you to pay very close attention. I'm not just isolating some verses and doing what I want to with them because, you know, it sounds like it fits what we teach at this church. All right? I'm going to show you what Paul is dealing with in this chapter is very similar to one of the things that we deal with regularly and one of the doctrines that we're always fighting for. And so, uh, pay very close attention. Hold me accountable on this chapter. I'm not afraid of it. I, I like what it says, and I believe we're going to get a biblical presentation here. And so, look at verse 1. And remember, last, the end of chapter 1, we have where it's talking about those giving over to a reprobate mind. And it talks about some of the most wicked, filthy, degenerate people on this earth. And there are, there are some wicked, wicked people out there. And then in verse 1, it says, therefore, so we're kind of, you know, you know we often hear, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, we've got to remember what we talked about before. And it was talking about some really sorry people. But before it brought them up, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What the gospel does is it will save Jews and Greeks alike. And so in chapter 1, he's talking about the Greeks who were involved in some pretty major sins. And now in chapter 2, he's going to deal a little bit more with the Jews who were not, who had a very different way of life than the Greeks. And so it says, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Now, right here, people who are critical of the reprobate doctrine and what we preach on Romans 1, they will often use this verse to prove that our sins are just as bad as the reprobates. That, you know, and, any, and basically, they'll use this to kind of advance this teaching that all sin is equal which, you know, we've sufficiently debunked many times in the past. That's not true. Some sins have greater consequences than others. However, it is true that all sins make you guilty of breaking God's law. All sins make you in need of a Savior. All sins, will, big and small, will cause you to fall short of the glory of God. And so people will try to use this to prove that our sins are just as bad as the sodomites and just act like we're horrible for judging. How dare you judge them? That makes absolutely no sense at all. And we're going to see that is not, that is the furthest thing from what Paul is doing here when we go through this chapter. When Paul is making this statement, he's making it for a very good reason and a very specific reason that we're going to prove as we go through this chapter. And so let me just explain to you why he said this, who he's talking to, and then we'll prove it kind of as we go through the rest of this chapter. Because without a doubt, there would have been, and there definitely was, converted Jews in this church. I don't think anybody disputes that. Everybody will tell you that church in Rome, it was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. There's no, I think everybody agrees with that. But we also understand, too, something they were constantly dealing with in the early church was Judaizers or people who would come in and they would say that they were followers of Christ, but then they would add works to salvation, specifically the circumcision. That was something we see them dealing with in Acts. Paul addresses it in Galatians, and he go, he's going to address it in this chapter too. People, Judaizers, they were always coming in and demanding that the Gentiles be circumcised like they were in order to be saved. And so... Um, 
what Paul is, is going to do in this book, just like he does in other epistles, is he, he's going to explain how that makes no sense to add a work of the law to salvation because of the fact that salvation has to be by grace and without works. And if you're going to, and he also makes this case in other books too, and he's going to do it in here, that if you are going to do works for salvation, you have to do all of them. You've got to do all the works. And good luck with that. But that's what Paul, he's just showing reasoning here. He's going to use some reasoning and some common sense. It's like, okay, if if you want to get saved by the law, that's fine, but you have to do all of it. And nobody can do that. Absolutely nobody can do that. But if you do, you try to add one work to salvation, you're a hypocrite. Because the reality is, if works are required, you've got to do all of them. You can't just pick. You can't just go and do whatever works you want. You got to, it's, it's, all, it's all the works or grace. I choose grace. <laughs> I choose grace for sure. And so when Paul makes this statement about being inexcusable and judging while doing the same thing, he's not creating this new doctrine that's nowhere in the Bible where all sin is equal, but he's showing them how all sins make you equally guilty of sin and in need of grace and in need of a savior. And it's foolish for us to think that we're on our way to heaven because we are good, practicing, independent, fundamental Baptists. And we all know that. Okay, I've never heard an independent, fundamental Baptist that thought that they were saved because they were good, independent, fundamental Baptists. And if they did think that, they wouldn't be a good, independent, fundamental Baptist because you don't get saved by acting like IFB, dressing like we do, doing the practices that we do. That's absolutely ridiculous. And it would be foolish for us to think that. You know, and, and, but why would we think that? It's like, well, obviously we're not as bad as the reprobates. We're not like those people in the pride parades. So surely if somebody's going to heaven, it would be our crowd. Listen, it is foolish and you are inexcusable to compare your sins to the sins of the reprobates. And I get it. I don't think your sins are as bad as what they're doing at the pride parades. But at the same time, for you to think that you are justified because you've not broken some of the laws that they've broken, you're a hypocrite and you're foolish and you're inexcusable because you've broken the law too. You've broken God's holy law. That's what he's saying right here. And so it was foolish for Jews to think that they didn't need grace just because they weren't like the Greeks. So Paul spent half the first chapter laying out the wickedness of the heathen world, but he's going to spend a lot more time letting the religious crowd know the truth about themselves. And folks, this is why the Romans road is so relevant for our American culture. Because in the last hundred years, for sure, our country has been very religious while also being very lost. And we talk to people like that every week when we go out soul winning who are very religious, but they are very lost. And Paul, when he was often, especially when he's speaking to Jews, he's speaking to people that are moral. He's speaking to people that are religious. He's talking to people who have a zeal of the law, but they are not saved because they are not putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So I've heard, I've been hearing some more of these modern types being critical of the Romans road. Well, that's not very theologically deep and all that kind of stuff. And there's so much more to it. But no, it's exactly what our culture needs. Our religious American culture needs. And I do. I think it is very relevant. So verse two says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them, which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them, which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. So is he saying right here that we're all guilty of homosexuality? Is that, what he, is that what he's saying right here? Or is this the same concept that Jesus taught about committing adultery in your heart and things like that? Because obviously there is a big difference between the act of committing adultery that required you know, death in the Bible and someone just looking at a woman to lust. When Jesus made that statement, He was not making that statement saying, how dare you be down on the adulterer because you're just as bad for thinking bad thoughts. No, listen, I would rather you think about kill me than actually kill me. Now, did you know it's a sin to think about murdering somebody? 
But please, you know, if you're going to pick one of the sins, just think about it. Okay? Just, uh, obviously, both are sin. Both cause you to need a Savior. But one is worse than the other, isn't it? But both equally make you guilty of being a sinner. So Jesus taught that kind of thing. And Paul's doing the same thing right here too. He's trying to let a religious group know that you need grace in order to be saved because you are doing the same thing, not as in the sense of you've committed the exact same sins, but no, you have committed sin. You are guilty of sin. You are a sinner and on your way to hell. And so he says in verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And it's the goodness of God that reveals our sinfulness. While focusing on the wicked, that can actually make us feel real good about ourselves. Because why is it that most people today, when you, when you knock on their door and you ask them, hey, how do you know if you're going to go to heaven? Oh, well, I'm a good person. Well, what, is, what does that mean? You know, I, I've never killed anybody. I'm not like the thieves. I've never been in prison. You know, they, what, are they, what are they doing? They're comparing themselves to other people. That's, what they, that, that's exactly what they're doing. But the truth is, if we just compare ourselves among other people, we're always going to be able to find somebody that's worse than us. But the truth is, what causes people to realize how sinful they are, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. When you understand that, wait a minute, it's not about my standing with man. It's not about me comparing myself with man. It's about me comparing myself with God. When you compare yourself with God, you know what you're going to see yourself as? Unclean, unholy in need of a Savior. That's what it means when it says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That's what's going to cause you to see your need for a Savior. I don't, I said, I, I, I just don't agree with this Ray Comfort type of uh, evangelism where you just got to go and just show people just how rotten they are in, in kind of the way he does with the Ten Commandments. Why don't we talk about the goodness of God? Why don't we talk about Jesus Christ? You know, why don't we talk about his sinless life and his perfection? That's the way we show people how bad they are. It's the goodness of God that leads a person to real repentance. And so I, I think we ought to talk a lot more about Jesus personally when we're out giving the gospel than really anything else. And so that goodness of God reveals our sinfulness while focusing on the weakness of man. It's just going to make you feel good about yourself. And sometimes with religious people, we have to spend some time showing them their guilt and they often struggle seeing themselves as deserving of hell, you know, when they've been a good Catholic their whole life. They've been even have been a good Baptist their whole life. Well, surely, yeah, okay, I, fine, I get it. You know, the Sodomites are going to hell. You know, uh, the you know Congress is going to hell. You know, all the people that whatever people we don't like, yeah, they're all going to hell. But there's no way my religious grandma is going to hell. Well, what are you doing? You're comparing yourself among people. We compare ourselves with God, we're going to see that we're all in pretty big trouble. That, that's, that's how it's going to work. And so we've got, to, we've got to show people that. So verse 5 says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And notice it mentions the hard heart there. Now, who was constantly rebuked for the hardness of their heart? It was the Jews. Jesus brought it up over and over again. Isaiah prophesied about the hardness of their heart. Paul talked about it over and over again. Their hard hearts were brought up. They just couldn't see themselves as deserving of hell. And so Jesus, he was always telling them parables, trying to show them their sinfulness. He's always giving them one illustration after another, trying to show them their sinfulness. And they just couldn't see their sinfulness. And we do. We have, we have a tough time because it is, it's hard for some people to think, I've been going to church my entire life. I got baptized, I got, I've been doing confessions, I did all the sacraments, I took communion, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, and you're telling me that I'm going to go to the same hell as the murderers, as the terrorists? People struggle with that kind of thing. But if, you, if anybody would get a look at God, if anybody would get a look at Jesus Christ, then they'd be like, yeah, I do need a Savior. If people understood what Jesus was doing for them on the cross... That would change a lot. That's why we need to talk about Jesus. And so, um, you know, and remember too what Paul said in Galatians. 
We're not going to turn there. But remember when Paul made that statement, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. And what was he saying there? Was he saying the Jews weren't sinners? No, obviously the Jews were sinners, but they weren't, they didn't have this practice of sinfulness like the Gentiles did. They weren't living in fornication. They weren't living in idolatry and doing all those things. No, they had a morality that they followed. They, they had a separation, but at the same time too, were they fully doing everything that the law commanded? No. And Jesus called out many things that they were missing, that they were coming short on. There was a lot of areas where they were struggling, even though if you and I could go back in time and see the way the Jews were during the time of Christ and then see the way the Greeks were during that time, we would see a vast difference. But both of them needed saved. Both of them needed Christ. And interestingly enough, the Greeks were getting saved way more than the Jews were getting saved. Even though... The Greeks weren't even looking for righteousness, but yet they found it, while the Jews who were looking for righteousness didn't find it. And Paul's going to talk about that later in the book of Romans. And so, um, you know, so a lot of false doctrine, though, is, uh, is, that's taught is based on a misunderstanding of this next passage we're going to look at. Now, we're going to read this next passage very carefully. I'm going to tell you what I believe it's saying, and it will not set well with you at first. You are not like you are not going to like hearing what I have to say at first. But if, if we keep reading, don't worry. We don't have to change anything in our theology. We're still riding on salvation, all right? But, but hear me out before anybody throws me out. Just let me let me get through this, okay? Let's read this passage because there is there is a really bad doctrine. Have you ever heard people talk about being saved by conscience? Or basically, it's this idea that people in other countries and cultures who've never heard the name of Christ, they still might be able to be saved even if they've never heard about Jesus because you can be saved by your conscience. And they will use this passage right here. A lot of people have taught that throughout the years. I've even heard some of your, you know, Ruckmanite types who have talked like that was how they, you know, there was a dispensation where people did get saved that way. Wrong. Okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, nobody's ever gotten saved by their conscience. It's never happened. But let's go ahead and look at what they say. Because they actually say some things right about this passage, yet still miss everything by a mile. So, verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So a day's coming where God's going to render to everyone according to their deeds. Now he's telling these Jews here that they're treasuring up wrath to themselves. But a day's coming when God's going to render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Now, what it looks like it's saying right here is that those who do good are going to receive glory, honor, immortality, and eternal life, while those who do bad are going to receive indignation and wrath. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, that is exactly what that means. It's exactly what that's saying. Those who are doing good are going to receive glory, honor, immortality, and eternal life. So tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Of the Jew first and also of the Gentiles. The Jew first. Everybody always uses that to show like a priority that they have. No, it's just showing here that he's showing here God's going to save them the same. That's what we saw in Romans chapter 1. God, God, the gospel will save Jews and Gentiles. And judgment is going to come on Jew and Gentile. If they sin, if they do bad tribulation and anguish but glory honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the jew first and also to the gentile for there is no respect of persons with god so you know what this person first off he's just pointing out the same judgment is going to go on the jews as on the gentiles there's no difference god's no respecter of persons that's going to hurt a lot of people's theology right there but paul's pretty clear about that 
And again, many will use this passage to teach that people who have never heard the name of Jesus can still be saved as long as they are doing good and seeking for immortality. But what do we do with this? Because we don't believe there's any way to heaven without Jesus. But again, I believe this passage means exactly what the false prophets are saying. Those who are doing their best and doing good, seeking immortality, glory and honor, they're looking for God, they will receive eternal life. I believe that. What if they never heard the name of Jesus? If they're doing good, seeking for immortality, glory and honor, they will receive eternal life. Okay, I said it. But here's what you've got to understand. We have chapter 3, and in chapter 3, it says in verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith unto them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So guess what? Yes, if somebody is doing good and seeking for glory and honor and immortality, they will receive eternal life. But here's what Paul said. Nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing it. No, not one. Just like was prophesied in Psalms. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. So understand, whenever these false prophets come along and they tell you about these people that could potentially be saved without Jesus Christ, they don't understand that if you keep reading in chapter 3, Paul said, here's the only thing, here's the problem, there aren't any. Just like the book of Psalms says, there's, there are no people out there who are seeking after God. There are no people out there who are trying to do good and trying to receive immortality and glory and honor and are, are patiently continuing in that. There's some people that might go through some phases where they realize there's a God and they try doing good for a little while, but guess what? They're all going to fail. You know why? Because by the works of the law, no flesh can be justified. So, Again, chapter 2 is saying what the false prophets are saying, it says, but they ignore the fact that Paul makes it very clear nobody does that. No, not one. So when I hear a false prophet use this passage to describe a people who could potentially get saved without Jesus, I will go ahead and say, yes, if you can find somebody out there that's like that, they would receive eternal life. But you know what? You're not going to find them. No, not one. They're not there. And let me tell you, 100% of people who are going to be in heaven, it's going to be because of Jesus Christ. It's going to be because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, what about those? You know, there's, you know, I heard about this one culture where the people are really good. No, they come short of the glory of God. They've sinned. They violated God's law. So, you can, folks, you can't, nobody has ever gotten saved by their conscience. Nobody ever will get saved by their conscience. It's never happened. And if people would just keep reading into chapter 3, they would see that that's true. It's never going it, to, it, it, it's never happened. So, I'm sorry, salvation by conscience completely debunked. And, and understand in the dispensation world, they'll talk about a whole dispensation of conscience. They'll talk about that. And I, and you know, and I don't, there are people who believe there was a dispensation of conscience, but they don't believe people got saved that way. They still believe salvation by grace. And if you go into that dispensation too, you know what you're going to find out? People were really bad during that time. It was a really bad time. So um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But verse 12, notice what it says here. For as many as have sinned without law, so this is referring to Greeks. People, they didn't receive the law of God. They, they, they weren't like the Jews who to them were committed the oracles of God that we'll see in chapter 3. They never had the law. But right here it's saying, for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. Why are they, they going to perish? 
Why? Because for the wages of sin is death. And they've sinned. Yeah, but they never had the law. It doesn't matter. They will perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by a law. So even the Jews who had the law, guess what? They're going to be judged by the law too. God's going to judge the Jew and the Greek the same. Jew and Gentile are going to be judged the same by the law. Why? For not the hearers of the law are just before God. Now the Jews had heard the law, while the Greeks had probably never heard, most of the Greeks had probably never heard the law. But the Jews had heard it, but he says, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So Paul's made it crystal clear. Those without the law will be judged by the law. So again, if you can find someone who has obeyed the law, then they would be saved. But guess how many you're going to find? No, not one. No, not one. So verse 14, when the, for when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And this ties back into what we saw in chapter 1. Remember, God had put some things in man. There are things that God put in them. We know, mankind knows the difference between right and wrong. It's instinctive. It's in all of us. We talked about that last week. Adam and Eve, when they ate that fruit, their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. They knew it. And let me tell you, all this wickedness you see going on in the world today, people understand that it's wrong. And a lot of times we'll go and we'll look at some of these really backward and these really wicked nations. And, you know, we kind of get, and there's nothing wrong with having compassion and, you know, know, loving people. But at the same time, we can't make excuses, okay? You see these uh, savage nations. You go to some of these African nations where people don't wear any clothes. They know better than that. They should, at least they should know better than that. But you know what? They've embraced evil. They've embraced carnality. Some of these African nations are just filled with disease. They're filled with AIDS. They're filled with all kinds of horrible things. The violence that's over, over in some of these places, it's absolutely horrible. And it's not just because these people are backwards and uneducated and all that kind of stuff. No, they have embraced evil. There is something in, a, in every man. We know the difference between right and wrong and understand people. And so when Gentiles actually do things that are according to the law, you know, it shows that these things are on their hearts. And you know what? There have throughout history been nations who didn't have the laws of God, but you know what? They had laws against murder. They had laws against stealing. They had laws against committing adultery. I mean, pretty much every culture has had something like that. At least every civilized culture for sure has. And any culture that has ever advanced and succeeded, they've always had many laws, not all of them, but many laws that are similar to the laws of God. And then what ends up happening, what causes those nations to be destroyed? They usually get into perversion. And then they are destroyed. And that's why America has been a great nation because we have been a very moral nation historically. But what's happening to us? We're degenerating into just a Romans 1 type world. And you know what? Eventually, our nation will fall as a result of it. It's just the way things always happen historically. And so, um, so people without the law, they, they can still know the difference between right and wrong, but Jews did have a great advantage over the Gentiles because unto them were committed the oracles of God. And so the beginning of chapter 3 is going to say, what advantage did it have the Jew? Much every way chiefly, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. The Word of God reveals to us and helps us. It's a, it's a schoolmaster that brings us to salvation. People can understand their sinfulness without the law of God, but the law of God sure does help with that. And think about it. Even your most immoral people on the planet, they still un, you know, uh, you know, have an understanding of certain things that are evil. They still some, see some things as evil. I mean, even America today sees Hitler as evil. You know, so understand, you know, but, you know, what makes them think, you know, and have you ever heard people bring that up when they're talking to atheists and stuff? 
whenever they're talking about things that are terrible and immoral, I'm like, what are you basing that on? And they can never give you an answer. But at the same time, even the degenerates of our country understand guys like Hitler were evil. So the thing, so the thing about it, why, you know, where did that come from? It's, it's in them. It's instinctive. And, and again, a lot of these people are kind of hypocritical you know, when they're against Hitler, but they're for butchering babies and things like that. And that is, that's very hypocritical. But again, that's why Paul brought up in chapter 2, thou art inexcusable, old man. And we all have those hypocrisies and things in our life. And I preached about that, you know, just I think last week. So verse 17 says, Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God. So notice he's talking to people who call themselves a Jew. Now, I'm going to, in this next part, we're going to kind of deal with another heresy that's pretty common even in Baptist churches. And so we're going to make application because obviously we don't have any former Jews in here that were ever under the law or anything like that. But, and in most Baptist churches, they don't have anybody like that. But let me tell you, Baptist churches across America today are full of religious people who, you know, aren't really saved. You know, they're thinking that they're on their way to heaven because they had some kind of reformation in their life. They had some kind of uh, religious experience and they don't have faith in Christ. And so I want, I want us to pay very close attention because I don't, I, I'm telling you, I'm not, twi- I'm not just making this passage mean what I me- need it to mean. It's very clear what he's talking about here. And we can definitely make an application today, something that we're still seeing in churches. So he says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and rest in the law, makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, and a light of them which are in darkness, and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast a form of knowledge, and of the truth in the law. And notice what Paul's saying here, these are all things they're claiming about themselves. Paul is not agreeing with their assessment of themselves. Okay? This is what they think about themselves. I'm a Jew. I rest in the law. You know, they're making themselves out to be a teacher. I'm an instructor. I show people right and wrong. I'm the one that knows all this stuff. This is what they say about themselves. So in verse 21, okay? now if I may make an application, okay, in case we have some camp meeting type Baptists that are here today, oh, so you think you're saved? Because you repented of all your sins? You think you're saved because, you know, when you got religion, man, you got all of it. You got in church right away. You got a haircut. You went and you started dressing right. You started acting right. You threw out all your rock music. You threw out your cigarettes. You threw out your alcohol. You, were, you, know, you, did, you did all these things. You know, and now you're teaching everybody else that if you haven't repented of all those sins, probably not saved. Now, does anybody ever teach that type of junk? Yeah, they do. Oh, yes, they do. Let me tell you, I've heard a lot of that in my life. And let me tell you, it's not right. It's not biblical. And I just have a question for these people. I have a question for these people who demand a reformation that looks like theirs. You know, for people that people have to do to prove they're saved. Here's my question for them. It's the same question Paul had for these Jews who are making their boast in the law. They were claiming all these things about themselves. You know what his you know what his question was? It's a question. It's very similar to the question I have for these people who demand that you have to repent of all your sins in order to be saved, or if you're truly saved, you're going to repent of all your sins. My question is this: Have you repented of all your sins? Have you? Now, now let's watch what Paul does, and, and I don't think I'm making a straw man argument when I do this. If a guy's going to get up and demand some kind of outward change to prove someone saved, I do not believe I'm straw manning him. When I ask that question, have you repented of all your sins? Look what it says. So let's keep reading verse 21. Thou therefore that teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest as a man should not steal, dost that steal? Dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit, commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. So you know, what, you know what Paul's doing right here? He's showing these people, hey, you're not as great as you think you are. And that's my question for these guys. Have you repented of all your sins? 
Yo, those of you that are teaching, you have to repent of your sins. Have you repented of your sins? Are your sins all gone? Or is it just select ones? Are, are you being selective with the law like the Jews were selective with the law? Okay, now obviously no camp meeting guy is going to bring up circumcision. But he'll bring up Baptist stuff that we like to bring up. I mean, do we not as Baptists have our hobby horses and our sins we hate a little more than others? Of course we do. You know, of course, of, of course we do. But at the end of the day, it's kind of hypocritical to base someone's salvation or demand somebody justify themselves or prove themselves through a keeping of the law when we don't keep the law. That's what Paul's saying right here. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm not doing anything different than Paul's doing when I'm asking this question. I'm not, I'm not doing anything different. This is the exact same thing. And so these, these guys did. They thought they were good, but, and they were so hardcore about certain aspects of the law, but they were all hypocrites. Yeah, there were things they did. Yeah, they did the circumcision, but they didn't do other things. So guess what? Their circumcision was made uncircumcision. We're going to see that here in a minute too. If I may steal a quote from John Hamlin, you know, they thought they were hot snot on a silver platter, but the truth is they were a cold booger on a paper plate. And I'm telling you, and when I hear some camp meeting preacher get up there and tell a long, dramatic story about all the changes that he made in his life, and he questions the salvation of people who haven't done all the things that he has done, I just want to say to him, you really think you're a hot snot on a silver platter, but you're just a cold booger on a paper plate. That's the truth of it. And it's embarrassing. And it's a shame. It's a shame that they do that kind of thing. It's hypocrisy. To do that kind of thing. And so, I, I, I'm telling you, this principle, it definitely applies. And we, and we just always ask people that question. Have you repented of all your sins? I ask people that all the time when we go out soul winning. Just to, one, two, because I want to know what they mean by it. But when, it, when people say, I know I'm saved because I repented of all my sins. I was asking, well, did you repent of all your sins? You know, what do you mean by that? Did you, you, you quit sinning? How'd you do that? How's that going? Do you not have any more sins? I like to ask people that, that question. Because some people, they don't really understand what they're saying. But the main thing these Judaizers focused on, while ex- ignoring so much of the law, was circumcision and their Jewishness. Now, Baptists, we focus on standards. We focus on church attendance. You know, whatever the latest hobby horse is. Some of y'all, you haven't given up some of that music. I don't know how the Holy Spirit can dwell in someone uh, how you can be comfortable having the Holy Spirit in you while listening to that stuff. Garth Brooks promoting Bud Light right now. You know, even with all this tranny stuff going on, I wonder if you're saved. You know, and that's, what, that's the kind of stuff they do. Whatever it is. Whatever we're upset about. We, we, we go and we cast doubt on everyone's salvation. And that's ridiculous. And so look what it says here in verse 25. For circumcision which is the law that they kept bringing up. That was the big thing that they were always bringing up. For them, that was the most important thing. And, and you can say, well, yeah, obviously that's not a big deal. It doesn't matter anymore. But obviously, church attendance matters. And folks, church attendance is important. Church attendance is good. Standards are important. Holy living, that's important. All these things are good. But you know what? You can replace this law with literally any other law. So Okay, we, we believe in soul winning here. That's a good thing to do. And so, if I may, I'm not trying to change the Word of God here. Just make an application here. But let me read it this way. You know, I wonder about somebody. You say Jesus forgave you. You say you're on your way to heaven. You say you received the free gift of salvation. But you never tell anyone about Jesus. You never go soul winning. I wonder if you're even saved. Well, let me read it this way. For soul winning, verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy soul winning is made not soul winning. What's he saying right there? Hey, circumcision, it profits if you're keeping the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision is uncircumcision. But wait, I did that one thing. Yeah, but you broke the law. Because it doesn't matter. You break any of God's laws, you're guilty of the law. So it is foolish, it is pointless, it is wrong to use the law of God to prove anything about your salvation. Now folks, 
Am I straw manning tonight? Am I not making a proper application of what Paul's doing right here? Folks, name, name, what is your, what is your favorite work? What is the thing that you think everybody has to do? Church attendance. For church attendance, verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy church attendance is made skipping church. Is that, am I wrong in doing that? Somebody tell I don't want to, I don't want to straw man. I don't want to, I don't want to twist things. I don't want to misuse things. But folks, it's pretty obvious what he's talking about here. And it's not wrong to do that kind of thing. It, it's, it, it, or it's not wrong for us to make this application. And so we could replace that word circumcision with any, literally any work Baptist wants you doing, and it would have the same meaning. There was a lot more than one law. But that was the thing the Jews liked. And, and the reason the Jews did that, and Paul talked about this in Galatians, it was so they could glory in your flesh. That was why. We've got to get all of our people circumcised so we can glory in their flesh. We, all of us are circumcised. And you know, Baptists, we want everybody going to church so we can glory in church attendance. We need those numbers. We want to glory in our soul winning numbers. We want to glory in whatever. And so if we can get everybody doing these things, we got something we can brag about. We can impress our preacher friends when they come and preach for us. We can like take pictures and show everybody everything that's going on here. And listen, all these things are good. Soul winning is good. Church attendance is good. You ought to be doing all that stuff. But when we go as far as adding it and making it a part of salvation, we've crossed the line for sure. If we go as far as making it proof of salvation, we have crossed the line. That is not right. We should not do that kind of thing. And anytime you do it, it's hypocritical. And I don't care who the preacher is. And there's a lot of preachers that do this that I like. And, and, you know, and, I, and I pray for these guys and I wish they'd get this stuff right. But I don't, I don't care how godly they are. I don't care what laws they get up and say that if you don't change in this area, if you don't do these things, you're probably not really saved. Every one of them are hypocrites when they do that. I think saved people are, are capable of being hypocrites hypocritical and committing the sin of hypocrisy. And every time a preacher gets up and does that, they are being a hypocrite. And I don't understand why they need to do that so much. I don't know why you just can't let the goodness of God lead people to repentance. I don't know why you got to mess with the gospel. I don't know why you got to confuse people about their salvation. And if you have to do that kind of thing to get people to do what, what's right, something's wrong with your preaching. And it's sad, these people are constantly getting saved, making profession after profession after pr profession. It's a shame. I, I was just talking about Tom today. He was giving me his testimony. And he was talking about how when he got saved, and then later, uh, I, I forgot the specifics, now, and, but, and, and it doesn't even really matter, but he was talking to another pastor, and he just explained to him, he was like, well, you know, because there was some sin that was in his life. And he was just like, well, let me tell you, if, if you believe that, you meant it. When you first prayed, then you got saved then. And he, he understood that later. You know, and I, I agree with that. I think that's totally true. But you know, most preachers, because it's like they've got to force people into doing what they need them to do, it's like they've got to always have you wondering. And every year, camp meeting comes along, or church members are all getting saved again. It's, it's a shame. They ought to be embarrassed by it. Did you know, and, and I know Baptists don't teach you can lose your salvation. Everybody knows better than to actually say that. But Hebrews 6 makes it clear that if it were possible to lose your salvation, and it's not, but if it were possible, it would be like crucifying the Son of God afresh and putting Him to an open shame. And you know what? I think it's a shame, and it, and it makes God look bad. It makes the cross look bad when people are making profession after profession after profession. It really distorts the gospel and it, it really is a shame. And if that's a common thing in your church, you're probably preaching wrong. You probably have bad doctrine. You probably have bad theology. And people need to get that right. So verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision, talking about the Gentiles, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? What, what, you know what he's saying right here? He's basically saying, if one law makes you okay, like circumcision, then why wouldn't the Gentiles be okay who are keeping some laws too? 
Because there's Gentiles out there that are keeping some of the laws of God. You know, there's Gentiles out there that never killed anybody. So if your circumcision justifies you, then why isn't there a lack of murder justifying them? Or even some good thing. You know, there's, there's unsaved people that are giving and that are generous. There's unsaved men that are good husbands, that are good neighbors. There's policemen out there that are unsaved and they've saved lives. There's firemen that have literally saved people's lives and they're lost. So if they've kept that law, then shouldn't that make them saved? I mean, if we're going to follow the reasoning that the Jews had, then that's the case. So again, okay, you know, Pastor Pompous at the camp meeting, you know, you repented of your drink and smoke and chew and cussing and all that kind of stuff. So if I can get, if somebody else has at least repented of whatever, reading comic books, you know, then does that make them justified? I mean, how how come it's only your things that you repented of and your good things that make somebody saved? That that is, there's the reason, if you follow that reasoning, somebody repents of anything or they do any good thing, then they, they should be fine. But we understand that's not the case. And so... He, what he's saying there here is if your reasoning is true, Gentiles who don't even have the law actually do better than you in some areas because he, or they would be judging you. Because look what it says in verse 28 or um, back in 27. And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee. You know why? Because these guys, they don't even have the law and they're doing right. In certain areas. So you know what? You are bashing them for not being circumcised, which is not a natural thing, while they are actually naturally doing some things right and they don't have the law of God. You know what he's kind of saying here? They're actually doing better than you now. They're going to be judging you, is what he's saying. And so, you know, you do. You think about some of these preachers that are out there talking about all these sins you have to repent of. And then some of these same clowns too will go and they'll commit adultery. You know, they'll do some terrible thing like that. And, you know, and everybody will, nobody will question whether or not they're sa- still saved or not. You know, everybody says they're still saved. But yet, there's lost people that have never committed adultery. So you know what that would mean? Based on their reasoning, those lost people are going to judge you. So, again, isn't it interesting how the same heresies have always been around? The same, it's a, we just repackage these things. So they, they, they would have actually been better because what they were doing, these Gentiles would actually be better because what they were doing, they would be doing it from the heart rather than the letter. They didn't have a law telling them to do these things, yet they're doing them anyway. That's actually better. And so that's what verse 28 is all about. We're very familiar with this passage. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. The Jews were all about the outward and Paul here is showing how the inward is actually what's more important. God always cares more about the heart of something than the outward. And folks, this is not a New Testament concept. This is an Old Testament concept. I'm just going to hit these real quick. First Samuel 16, 6, And it came to pass, and they were come, that he looked on alive and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God cares about the heart of things more than the outward. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Ezekiel 11:19, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take away the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them and they should be my people and I will be their God. God wants it in the heart. Ezekiel 36:24, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into their own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you an heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgments and do them. First Samuel fifteen twenty two. Samuel said, hath the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better to sacrifice 
and to hearken to the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Saul thought, I'm, I'm fine, because I'm going to sacrifice all these animals, and that's part of the law. But he's being obedient, or disobedient. He's not doing what God wanted to do. And let me tell you something. What Paul is showing right there when he's saying he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Nobody becomes a Jew because of their keeping of the law. People become a Jew by doing the things of the heart and of not of the letter. And guess what? So what do I have to do to get my heart right on these things? Acknowledge you're sinful and you come short of the glory of God. And ask the Holy Spirit to save you and come into your heart and He'll cleanse you from all that unrighteousness. And you know what? You will be a Jew inwardly. You will be sanctified. And you will be one of the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so under Romans chapter 2, it can be a very dangerous chapter if we isolate it from the rest of the epistle. Paul in this chapter is reasoning with them and he's giving them hypotheticals revealing to the Jews especially their need for a Savior. Everything he said in this chapter is 100% true. And often, many of the things people will say from this chapter is true, but the mistake people are making is failing to see the conclusion that shows no one ever has, no one ever will be able to do what it takes to get to heaven without faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Romans is a book that uses the law to explain why a person must be saved and he can only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ without the deeds of the law. And again, all these people that are out there casting down on people's salvation, it's always they're condemning them based on their de- the works of the law. And you know what? We've got a lot more in Romans that is going to slap these people right in the face and just reveal their hypocrisy of epic proportions. And I'm looking forward to talking about it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of salvation. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And Lord, the reality is you've done everything. And I pray you'll help us to keep spreading the word about this free gift of salvation. And I pray you'll help us to represent you well. Lord, help us not to take advantage of your grace and uh, live wicked lives. Help us to do the best we can. But Lord, help us never be so arrogant and, arrogant and so hypocritical as to think that you know we have we have repented of our sins uh, in a way that is sufficient. But we'll just keep on every day trying to crucify uh, the old man and to walk in the Spirit. In your name, we pray. Amen.